Welcome to Les Bonnes Mots, a podcast about language learning produced by ACA, a language training school based in Quebec, Canada. This podcast is for people who are learning languages, and each episode will cover a different topic connected to language learning. Every other week, we'll bring you a mini-sode like this one with different tips and tricks to help you on your language learning journey. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Britta Potion Reader. I've been teaching English as a second language for over 10 years, and I'm also learning French and Spanish. I'm passionate about language learning. This week, I'm joined once again by Jeffrey Smale. Jeffrey is a member of the teaching team at ACA, and since obtaining his CELTA teaching certificate, has taught in Brazil and Quebec. He has learned some Russian, Bulgarian, German, Chinese, Portuguese, and is now learning French. In this week's mini-sode, we're going to discuss varieties of English and the difference in some of the essential categories, such as greetings, thank yous, washrooms, food, and clothing. Let's get started. Jeff, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to talk to you about regional differences in English because, as our listeners may have noticed during last week's episode, we learned English in different places, so we have different accents. But that's not all. There are some vocabulary differences which may depend on where a person learned English. So, Jeff, where did you learn to speak English? In England, in the south of England. I was born in London, but I grew up in the southwest of England, and then I moved back. So I've actually changed accents two times in my life is which has been quite interesting as a first time was kind of accidental or natural and the other was more conscious because I didn't want to sound like a farmer in the Surrey Hills and obviously accent is different to different kind of vocabularies but there is there's some similarity there. I grew up in British Columbia in Canada, so I definitely have an accent of someone from the west coast of Canada and some of the vocabulary, the regional vocabulary that goes along with that as well, and Canadian Englishisms, which are are their own little things. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about some of the categories of vocabulary that uh, can help our listeners to understand people who speak different varieties of English and also help you make yourself understood if you need to communicate with someone from those places or if you're traveling in those places. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Let's have a look. Let's start with greetings. How would you greet a friend? All right, mate. All right. All okay. All right. Mate, as in British colloquial for friend. So it's like saying, hello, friend. All right, mate. That's also used in Australia, isn't it, mate? But there they tend to use it with like, good eye, good eye, mate. Apologies to any Australians listening to me butcher their accent. My, my apologies. Good day, isn't it? It's good day. Bonjour. Good day. Good day, my friend. Good eye, mate. Whereas in Canada, I would probably just say, hey, or hi. Sometimes guys I hear say, uh, or men, I hear them say, hey, man, how's it going? How's it going is another big one instead of how are you, which we learn when we're in a beginner English class. It's okay. It's nothing wrong with saying how are you, but how's it going is pretty common one that we would use in in a lot of parts of English speaking Canada. Definitely. Do you ever have students who've said to you, hello, my friend? Yes. More in Brazil, I think. But yeah, it's, it's how do you, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? And, and I mean, I think if we hear someone say, hello, my friend, 
you or I would probably associate it with someone who speaks a romance language. Francophones do this sometimes. Portuguese speakers do it. Spanish speakers as well. It's not something I hear in many varieties of English. People who grow up speaking English would not typically say, hello, my friend, but it's very charming nonetheless. Now we've looked at a few greetings. So let's look at some of the ways we say thanks. In Canada or the US, we might say thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much. If we're really appreciative. And if someone thanks us in return, we might say, you're welcome. No problem. One of those options. What about in the UK? Is it, is it the same? Yes. Generally, thanks. Thank you for more formal and you're welcome. But depending on where you are, cheers can mean cheers. Let's have a pint. But also cheers as in thank you. Oh, cheers. Thank you very much. And also maybe more in the north of England, you got tar. Oh, tar, mate. Thank you. I don't know where it comes from. But it's, it's more north, northeast, northwest. So uh, a colloquial word, tar. And some of those words are also found in Australian English. Tar, cheers, oh. no worries, I think as well. And no wuzzes, if it gets, if it gets shortened. In Australia, it tends to shorten a lot of things to single syllables. So mm-hmm. I think, was it the service station is a servo? So no worries. They just stop at war. Wuzzes. No wuzzes, mate. <laughs> That's awesome thing about, uh, about listening to Australian English. And if you haven't tried it and you're learning English, I would recommend picking up an Australian TV show and, and giving it a listen. It's a lot of fun. And there's definitely some options on all of the streaming services. Oh, travel tips. Can I tell you a brief story, Jeff? Please. I embarrassed myself in the United States when I was traveling there. How did you do that? I asked for the washroom. I was in a restaurant. I said, um, excuse me, where's the washroom? And the server looked at me with a question mark on her face. And I said, the washroom? The question mark continued. So I thought, okay, I'll try another of my Canadian terms. The bathroom? Now in Canada, the bathroom, I would use that for a house in my house. If I was out in public, like I did, I would use washroom. But she was completely perplexed. And I don't even know what I said in the end to make her understand what I was looking for. I think I probably said where the toilet is. She was like, ah, the restroom. And the the clouds of confusion parted and the sunshine shone on us. But I learned that people in different places have different words for the place we go to the bathroom. But yeah, yeah, the old bathroom is... It's typical for the US and I think a lot of British people always say, well, where's the bath? Mm-hmm. You know, I went into the bathroom and there was no bath. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, not that I would take a bath at a restaurant. but Yeah, and in, in North America, kind of slang term that tends to get used, it's a little bit ruder, would be the can. Where's the can? That's not exactly like a polite speech, particularly. It's not swearing, but it's something you'd say to your friend rather than to the server in the restaurant. Yeah, we have a bog in uh, English. He's in the bog. What do you call a public bathroom? You mentioned bath or bathroom for inside a private residence. What would you ask for in a restaurant? It's always going to be the the toilet or the loo for short. I, I can't imagine anyone asking for the bathroom. It's just going to be where's the lav for the lavatory. And then obviously, I think more more common is is where the gents, where the ladies, because that's normally what's on the door, the sign on the door for gents, for gentlemen or for ladies. So you might say, where are the gents? So that you can 
ask for a gender rather than a function. (laughs) (laughs) Or I've heard the euphemism used in Canada as well, the ladies room. Where's the ladies room? I wouldn't say it's so common in in young people, but it's definitely something that people will use as a little euphemism from time to time. It sounds a lot posher, a lot nicer to say the ladies room as opposed to where the ladies. Interesting. It could be confused. You know, if you're in a bar and you say, where's the ladies? And they might say on the dance floor, you know, as opposed to. Knowing that you're asking for the facilities. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Australia, they also use the toilet. Australians probably have a lot of interesting words. I know toilet was the popular one when I was there because I hadn't learned my lesson in the United States and I persisted in asking for a bathroom in Australia and the person laughed at me and they were like, oh, you can have a bath. And I was like, no, I'm not going to have a bath. They're like, you want the toilet? I'm like, oh yeah, I want the toilet. Please learn from my mistakes, listeners. If you go to Australia, ask for the toilet. If you go to the UK, ask for the lab or the ladies or the gents if you need it. But yeah, don't ask for the bathroom. British English and Australian English probably have more in common than British English and American English or Canadian English, it seems. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure why that is because it's so far away. But... Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, we're all former British colonies. So some of us are still part of the Commonwealth. Some of us aren't. But definitely the commonalities for some of these words are closer between Australia and the UK. Another area where it can get confusing is in the realm of food. And specifically, Jeff, I'm thinking about potato products. Let's get into it. They're They're chips. And there's crisps, aren't there? So obviously the crisps, they are crisp. So it's kind of understandable, but I'm not sure why chips are crisps in Canada versus the UK. But I, I, you know, in terms of calling them French fries, I'm not sure why America insists on including France in the in the naming of the the potato products. I think it has to do actually with the cutting technique. French referring to a specific type of cut rather than the country of France necessarily. French fries in England are specifically what you get from your McDonald's or your Burger King. So they are a specific thin, but chip, as in fish and chips, you know, it's the bigger... I don't think a lot of English people, British English people, eat fries because it feels like a waste of time, you know? It just feels like there's not much there and, you know, you're better off getting some some decent fish and chip shop chips Let's talk about vegetables and fruit, because something that our French-speaking listeners may be interested to know is that British vegetable names are closer to French in some cases than North American vegetable names, aren't they? Yes, French has a big influence on English words. A lot of people don't seem to know that in the year 1066, a thousand years ago, that England was invaded by Norman conqueror William. And so a thousand years ago, the royalty, and the church, all the leaders were replaced with French speakers. And as a result of that, you would have an, an Anglo-Saxon farmer, but a, a French lord. So an Anglo-Saxon might produce a pig, but the French lord would eat pork. And the farmer wouldn't have a cow, but the the lord would eat beef. So these are all French words. So I'm not sure if courgettes and aubergines existed in the Middle Ages, whether that's an influence from them or if it's more recent. But it seems to be that, you know, there's a big influx of English vocabulary from from the French. 
I wonder if it's just a matter too of the influence of French cuisine on British cuisine and also the geographic closeness of France and England. So what you would call a courgette, I would call a zucchini, which is, I think, an Italian word. And North America has had large waves of Italian immigrants. So perhaps that's why we prefer this word. Similarly, what you would call an aubergine, I would call an eggplant. I don't know why. That one's a mystery to me. It's fascinating how we describe things with different words. I have a funny, well, it's not really that funny, but when I went to live in Brazil with my wife, we were having the conversation about a tropical fruit. And I said, well, you know, like pineapples and mangoes. We, in England, we call them tropical fruit. But in Brazil, they're just called fruit. <laughs> because obviously, it's not, a, you know, they are where it's from. Essentially, they have like names for each of the fruits. And obviously, they have names for different names of different types of mangoes. So I think you know, the language of availability, what is local to you and what you use. Mm -hmm. And when I was in Australia, and I understand it's the same in, in England, the leafy herb that we use when cooking in Canada and in the United States, I would refer to by its Spanish name of cilantro, would be called coriander leaf, I believe in the UK and Australia. But weirdly, in North America, we call the dried seeds of this plant coriander. So in Canada, we have a different name for the seed and for the leaf. That's interesting. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. I knew that coriander was cilantro because I like to make curries. So, you know, in some recipes, you'll see cilantro and some recipes, you'll see coriander. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. And in the same vein, when I look at a a salad recipe from the UK, they'll refer to rocket, but I would call that arugula. And you would find it labeled as arugula in in English in Canada. That's a new one on me. I've never heard of that word before, arugula. Uh Uh-huh. But again, rocket is the anglicization of roquette, right? So it's again directly from French. Is it? Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I just, I I always wonder, why is it called a rocket? Because it doesn't get you into space. (laughs) I I don't know either, but delicious nonetheless. Let's talk about sandwiches. Can I order a sandwich in the UK? Uh, Yes, you can can order a sandwich. Obviously, thanks to globalization, I think ordering baguettes and baps and buns is all normal. Okay, what is a bap? Because this is not a Canadian word. A bap is... It's a colloquial word. There's there's a bit of a debate in England sometimes. Is it a bap or is it a bun? And apparently it's kind of a regional word. So I think bap is more northern. I think it's in the north is bap, but in the south it's a bun. Interesting. And while we're on the topic of baked goods, in Canada, if I talk about making biscuits, I'm talking about making something that's usually savory, You might eat it with a bowl of soup or with a bowl of stew, something like this. And it would be kind of similar to a scone, but not a sweet one usually. But Mm. I think it's not exactly the same case in the UK, is it? It was, but it isn't now. Again, this is a biscuit, as it were. It started life as an alternative to bread for ships because obviously bread will rot very quickly. So a biscuit was a way of producing a dry product that would last for a long time. So ultimately not sweet, very dry and 
something to go with your soup. But biscuits, they evolved and obviously became sweet. So biscuits for me, or bickies, as uh, they're known affectionately, are, yes, they're kind of something sweet which you dip in your cup of tea. Mm. And I would call that a cookie. So we have another small difference there. Well, we have cookies, but cookies have chocolate chips in. You know, they're, ah, okay. Um, so it's a more specific type of biscuit, whereas in Canada, it's a general category. Yeah. Cookies are very doughy. They're bendy. So cookies then are a subset of what I would call a cookie, but in England, a cookie would be a subset of a biscuit, like one with chocolate um, chips in? Well, uh, a biscuit is something you get in a pack of many, and they're going to be quite dry, but sweet. And they might be like a bourbon, like a chocolate with a bit of cream or a rich tea or a digestive. So these are all kind of brands, but they all are biscuits because you get a big pack and a stack of them and you dip them in your tea. Whereas cookies are more like a cake. So they feel like more they're softer, they bend, they're chewy, they're not crunchy. I mean, yeah, they're round, they're sweet, and you put them in your mouth, sure. But for me, and I think everyone in Britain, a biscuit is very much a cultural food. It's almost like the British poutine, you know? It's uh, it's definitely a thing, and a cookie is definitely not a biscuit. It's very easy to define. Not to say that Brits don't love cookies, you know? They don't. Mm-hmm. They love their bickies, they love their cookies, but there's there's an undeniable difference there. So there you go. So we've talked quite a bit about food. Let's move to a different category, and that is clothing. Today, it's a little bit chilly. Fall has definitely arrived in Montreal, and I'm wearing a sweater, aren't I? Also known as a jumper. So in England, we use uh, a jumper, but sweater is equally usable now. So if you're traveling in the UK and uh, someone tells you you need to bring a jumper with you because it's going to be cold out, you'll know what they're talking about. It has nothing to do with skipping rope. It is, in fact, a piece of clothing. Yes. One that I think is really fun that's different in the United States, in Canada, and in the UK, and it's kind of a cool one for our context in Quebec, is the word toque, which is what I wear on my head in the winter when I'm cold. Do you wear a toque? I don't know. Is it a is it a specific type of hat or is it's it? It's like a what I hear people in the United States call a beanie. It's usually a knit hat of some kind. Sometimes it has a little pom pom on the top, and you wear it when you're cold and you want to keep your ears and head warm. You can pull on your toque. Right. So that sounds like a woolly hat okay. to me. Never heard of the word toque before. Beanie is a type of woolly hat. Beanie is actually the shape. If you're a young hipster in the UK and you wear one of those hats that looks like an elf that kind of goes off a bit, mm-hmm. you know. It's from the back of your head a little bit. Yeah, that's a beanie. So, but a woolly hat is a generic name for something made of wool as opposed to like a bowler hat or other English cliches, top hats. And, you know, so a woolly hat indicates it's made of, guess what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say wool. It is, yeah. Ah, yes, I win. Yeah, and yeah, toque is interesting too because it comes from the French word, and so we use it in Canada and almost nowhere else in the English-speaking word. It's really a Canadian specialty. 
there is something that could be potentially awkward when we look at another piece of clothing, and that is pants, which are also sometimes known as trousers, especially if they're more formal in Canada. But pants are what I put on to cover my legs. So this general category, I would call pants. Am I talking about the same thing if I'm in the UK? No, definitely not. Pants can only be your underwear. Oh, dear. Indeed. I, I read somewhere that it obviously from pantalon, the French word pantalon, pants. No, I'm sorry. They can only be your underwear. And I get very uncomfortable every time it says, I like your pants. <laughs> you're, you're checking to make sure that, that everything is covered appropriately, that, you know, yes. your pants haven't. Yeah, I, I can imagine the awkwardness. Yeah, we'll just stop there and leave it at that. We have some regional differences in different parts of Canada. Obviously, Canada is a big country and there are a few things that are different. Jeff and I, as we're recording, we can see each other using a, a video conferencing app. And I can see that Jeff is wearing a hoodie. Would it be also called a hoodie in the UK? Yes. Yes, indeed. It's got a hood. So there seems to be more harmony across the pond. Except, Jeff, if you are in Saskatchewan, where you are, in fact, wearing a bunny hug. I'm not joking. Is that is that like a a bunny hugger? Is that a bunny hug? Not a hugger, just a bunny hug. Like you're in the embrace of a little tiny rabbit. I can't say why. I'm not from Saskatchewan, but I find it very charming, sort of regional variation of of that word. Well, there you go. I didn't know about that one. Each week, we discuss a different vocabulary term, and today we're looking at a phrasal verb with a different meaning depending on where the speaker's from. This particular example is used a lot in our current context, and that phrasal verb is to wash up. So in Canada, wash up is something we're all doing a lot of. We're washing our hands. So I would say I need to wash up before dinner. Is it used in the same way in the UK? Yes, it has several different meanings, really. So to wash up, to do the washing up, it's not really used. It, it's that typical thing that happens with phrasal verbs is we make a phrasal verb and then immediately it becomes a noun. So have you washed up the dishes? We would say, have you done the washing up? So you use it as a noun. So it obviously comes from, was it something washing up on a beach, for example, washing up on the Rivers. And I also hear washed up used often to describe someone who isn't necessarily burnt out, but is no longer successful, particularly someone like an actor or an actress. So I could say he used to be a Hollywood star, but now he's just another washed up actor, for example. They've lost their success and now they're kind of almost like a faded version of their previous self. So yeah, it's a good point. We can use it a lot of different ways. Washing our hands, washing the dishes, or describing someone whose Hollywood career hasn't gone as they'd hoped, perhaps. Yeah, to all the listeners, when you're learning those phrasal verbs, check out each and every meaning and try and figure out how they relate to each other, because that's going to help you to remember them in the long term. That's a great strategy for learning phrasal verbs. Jeff, thank you again for joining me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me again. And yeah, I've enjoyed it as always. It's always great to catch up with you, Britta. So thanks again.
That brings us to the end of this week's mini-sode of Les Bon Mots. If you'd like to learn more about anything that we've discussed today, take a look at our show notes and also the videos and blogs which we post on our website at lesbonmots.ca. Do you have any questions or suggestions? We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at lesbonmots at lesateliers.ca or find us on Facebook and Instagram at lesateliers.ca. Reach out to us if you're interested in learning more about our language training programs or if you want to talk to us about ways in which you can improve your skills. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts to help other language learners find us. Thanks again and happy practicing.